The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the beast herself, Tammy, the underdog, Underwood. All right, this is going to be call number two from Keith Jesperson in the grand finale of Wrapping Everything Up with his calls out of four. So let's jump right into the calls. And welcome back, Keith. All right, so we're back here at, um, we're talking about Ken Monsterbrodden, Duke, um, the, the, the king rat of Clark County as, as far as other places. But anyway, uh, I, got a, I got a phone call from a detective, Mike Cole, from Elko, Nevada, and uh, did a high-profile case, and he promised that I, I was going to have uh, be immune from prosecution. So they fly into town, and I'm over at the state police office here in Salem, and, and uh they come in, two guys come walking in, and the one is the detective, and he points to the other guy and says, I hope you don't mind, I, I brought my pilot in with me. And he had flown in on a private plane, and they wanted to talk to me about uh, their case in Wyoming. And I said, well, the first thing out of his mouth was a lie, right? The first thing he says, well, I, I have to be perfectly honest with you, Mr. Jefferson. Uh, this is the funny part. I have to be perfectly honest, he says. I'm halfway here in the plane, and I forgot those amnesty papers back on my desk. But the deal's still the same, right? Right. He's telling me that the deal's still the same, that he left the, the papers back on his desk. Yeah, right. And I, that he's there with his pilot saying, you know he's full of shit. Yeah, you know he's full of shit. Anyway, so I told him, I said, well, I left my brain back in my house. I think I should go back and get it, right? Right. And he said, oh, come on, don't be like that. You know, we we want to we want to work through this. We want to do. We, you want to talk? Let's talk. He says. He says, how many people did you really kill? Come on, Mister. Tell us the truth here. What's the, how many people did you really kill? And I told him the absolute truth. Right. Same as he did. He lied to me. I'm gonna lie back. I said, I killed 166 victims in 13 years, and seven of them in Nevada. Of course, this is a numbers game, right? One plus six plus six equals 13. Right. Right? So exactly. 166 in 13 years. Okay, seven being a lucky number in Nevada, he's, he, his eyes get as big as saucers, and he wants, and he tell, he told me about them. So I, I give him about a song and dance uh, makeup of, of four cases that don't exist, but I just tell him this, because I know the area of, I, I drive through Nevada, and I've uh, parked in there many times along the side of the road. I know a lot of places where, that could happen, I guess. And I tell him all about that. And uh, at the end of the end of the conversation, he's like, uh, wow, will you take a polygraph test? I said, yeah, no problem. Will you, um, if I show you a video where these, where, where this area, can you pinpoint where you put the bodies? Yeah, no problem. So he gets in his plane and he flies back to Elko, Nevada, right? Right. And uh, I get back and they, they pull me out of, they unchain me from the floor and they, they drive me back to OSP and I go back in my cell and I got his address, and I write him a nice letter, and I said, I have no problem doing all this, just as soon as I see those amnesty papers, right? Which I never, he, I don't hear a word from him ever again, but what I do hear is from Ken Monsterbrot and Duke. He, he actually contacts Duke and says, I think Jesperson's just a liar, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, big deal. But he pushes the narrative of 166 and 13 years. This is where the... 
that story just blows, right? They, they just, he runs with it. And then I run with it, too. So what the hell? Why not tell it, right? Now, we talked about credibility. Because I was a, when I came to prison, I had credibility because I got two innocent people out of prison. And everyone saw me as being credible, right? So, but just telling, I could just tell a story in prison and it'd be, it, people would think it's, it's, it's the correct story, that's the truth. And that's a problem. Now, I got here, I was here about a month, and I was working in the kitchen, and a guy came up to me named Wayne Coker, and he says, hey man, why did you kill Bobby Crescenti? And I said, I don't know Bobby Crescenti. And he said, well, what if you, what if you said you killed Bobby Crescenti? And he said, so he's throwing a, he's throwing this at me, so he's hoping that I could, he has a friend named Jack. Jack's the husband of Bobby. Bobby and Jack killed Bobby from what I understand. But Wayne wanted his friend out of prison, and he thought that if, if I got two people out of prison, I should certainly get his friend Jack out of prison. So he came to me, and he said, well, what if you said you did? And I said, and at that time, I'm thinking, you know, I need to ruin my credibility somehow, so this sounds like a good idea. Why not ruin it with Jack Crescenzi, right? Right. And this is, this is, you know, you may not, you may not understand, but when I got to prison here, it's like, remember the old commercial E.F. Hutton? Right. Right, right, right. Where E.F. Where e. Hutton talks, everybody listens? Yep. Well, in prison, because I had, I, was, I came here with a multiple, as a multiple killer, every, I'm walking around the yard, and I got a group of people following me with that earshot, hoping I'd tell them something. I had people coming up. Hey, why don't you why don't you take my case and and let me out of prison? And I said, Who the hell are you? I don't know you. And it's and I try to tell them it's harder than you think to get two people out of prison or one person out of prison. I have to know everything. And so I told I told Wayne Coker. I said, I tell you what, you get me the information that I need to get this done, and uh, I'll see what I can do. Right? So, right. so Wayne starts getting the information from Jack. Now, Jack's in Eastern Oregon prison over in EO over there by, uh, you know. <clears throat> and so all the information has to come through the grapevine. Right. It's, it, it's going to get found out. Sooner or later, someone's going to talk, and I'm just sending this over here to so-and-so and so-and-so. And so, so so Wayne comes to me and he tells me the story about how, you know, he, she's missing and all this. And and I decide I'm going to call up uh, Phil Stanford. And he's the one, you know, and, and he's always looking for number nine. He wasn't looking for number eight. He wanted a poster prize, so he's, he wants to talk to me about number nine. So I, I tell him, come and see me, I have a number nine. He shows up at the, at, in, in prison here to tell me, to talk to me about it. And I tell him about Bobby Crescenzi, a made-up story. And there's so many little twists and turns of that story, it's, just, it's nuts. There's no way in hell I could be part of that story because I wasn't in the area at the time for many of the things that happened in that story. But it was just for kicks and giggles anyway to move this thing along. And so I tell him a made-up story, and of course, Phil Sanford runs off on, on back and he goes to talk to Duke about it, right? Well, I get Wayne Coker comes to see me the following day after I talk, uh, told the story out. He said, I made a little mistake. I said, what's a little mistake? He said, I, 
I got the wrong year. So, so here I am. I'm, I'm supposed to be a killer and know what the hell I'm doing, and I forget what fucking year it is. I killed. <laughs> right? This is this is this is how the information comes to me. In other words, they they don't want to give me the stories because they know that if they give me everything to get Jack out of jail, this information had to come from somebody. If I didn't do it, right? Right. So they would they would. The authorities would go, well, if if Jesperson didn't do this and he has all this information, this had to come from someone. So anyway, yeah, right. it, it, it was, now what's really kind of crazy is that this Jack Crescenzi story kind of like moved along and my father catches wind of this, right? And he, he decides he's going to write Jack in prison. And apologize to him for me killing his wife. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, my dad's going to write to them and say, I apologize for my son killing your wife. I'm awfully sorry. He said, you know, when he gets you out of prison, we need to go have a wiener row somewhere. Go up there to camping, and he was promising all this stuff he was going to do to help, you know, solve, you know, smooth things over. And you can bet that Jack got one hell of a laugh over that. Right. Because he knows, Jack knows he killed his wife. I mean, he's in prison for it. And the information I was getting had to come from Jack. I mean, or from the killer himself. But let's just say that was gonna, that was what was going to happen. Now, I had to tell my dad to leave it alone. I said, Dad, leave this thing alone. You, you can't, you know, just don't do this, right? Now, while this was going on, now, when I was in... In, in Clark County, I had made this thing called a self-start serial killer kit. Yeah, we right. have a T-shirt about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I made this thing about the self-start serial killer. Now, I had, when I was in there, I, I, I brought this up, and I had sent that to Sandra London. <clears throat> she's, a, she's a groupie. Serial killer. Now, you might know the name because... She was the uh, the woman involved with Danny Rowling out of yes. Gainesville, Florida, right? Oh. He proposed to her on TLC or some stupid yes. thing like that. That's why it sounds like the hell out of me to watch it. But, yeah, she's the one that was in contact. And uh, the creation of a serial killer was a book written that she helped put it together by what that was. Anyway, I sent her the self-start serial killer kit, and she puts it on her website. Now... How, how bad could this turn out? Well, of course, she get picked up by the Lisa Gibbons talk show, and they have her on discussing her website, her uh, her you know her, her her site that has dealing with murderers and all this kind of thing. But how they bring up the self start serial killer kit? They discuss it on a website, and there's a big hoopla going on because of Wyoming wants to kill me. They want to bring me there to put me on, you know, take me to trial. And they're looking for information. Of course, the self-start silicate is one hell of a way to help endorse the governor of Wyoming to help push this narrative along. So the, the Lisa talk show brings all this press up, and they decide to make the argument on Larry King Live. Now, you can go to the archives of Larry King Live, 
and you'll see that Sondra London is on the show with Hustler's Larry Flint, and they're defending free speech against the American Online founder and Governor James Geringer of Wyoming. And I chime in, okay, and I call the governor an idiot on national TV. <laughs> and, okay, but then my, my lawyer contacts me and says, you can't tell the governor he's an idiot on national TV. And I said, I just did, right? Right. And he said, well, they're going to kill you. And I said, listen, I said, the governor is an idiot for getting pushing this. He, he's making it a political, it's, it's political suicide for a governor or anyone to side with the, the, the legal system and try to kill someone and openly say he's going to kill someone on national TV uh, when the trial hasn't even started yet. So basically he's, he's going to destroy everything that he, that he thinks he's going to make he's going to destroy because I can always change the venue and all this other stuff that goes along with that. And I told my lawyer, all I'm doing is I'm, uh, I'm in, a, uh, in a fight with the governor. I'm, I'm poking the rattlesnake with a stick. I'm hoping he'll step up and he'll go to a podium, which he did. He went to a podium and he says, he was asked a question about Jesperson. He says, he says to him, he says, uh, what about Jesperson? He says, well, I'm going to bring Mr. Jesperson to my fine state. I'm going to give him a fair trial. Then I'm going to kill the bastard. And that's what he said on national TV. And I would, would have brought that in trial. And uh, I would have asked for change of venue, and I would have gotten it. And it would have cost Wyoming well, a whole lot more money than it did. But anyway, at the end of the show, in American Online, they decided what they would do is, they would just cancel her website, which they did. Then, because American Online drops her service to Sondra London, Sondra is, is offered a carrier from several other services and a, able to continue, right? Okay. Now, now in 1997, uh, James Geringer, the, the governor, calls on his prosecutors to kill me in Wyoming. Now, because... I was, I was scheduled for a Dateline interview in October of 97 to, to, to discuss with the, uh, w w I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, I had, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. There was a, a rep there was an investigator named Sharon Brubaker, and she's out of Salem, Oregon. Now she was connected with Jack Crescenzi, and she's Native American, and so is Jack, and so they're all pushing for this thing to happen. Now Sharon Brubaker <coughs> gets involved and sets up a Dateline interview for October 1997, and uh, that's a uh, that 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 was how this all gets started here. And uh, so because I was scheduled now, they wanted to kill me. So in order for me to, to get, to, if they were going to come and get me in July, I could not get the, the October uh, interview done, which I needed to get done. Right. So I, I filed a writ of habeas corpus. You know what that is? Yes. Okay. I, I filed a writ of habeas corpus to stop them, to make them, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's 
to make sure that when they come and get me, uh, extradite me from Oregon to Wyoming, that everything is in the proper order. And so this puts them back 90 days from the time where they're from the habeas corpus. And they're still going to come and get me, don't get me wrong. But uh, in the interview, in, in October, uh, in the interview, I tell them that I, uh, that I killed Bobby and 165 others and, uh, and the, whole, the whole shebang, right? All this, and then, um, and then they, they went over to Eastern Oregon, to Pendleton, and talked to Jack, and they did an interview with him. And uh, they knew, and, and Dayline's really good. They're just as faces. Dayline, they, in, when they uh, interview people and they investigate, they, they cover a lot of territory. They're very good. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna hide a lot from them. You're gonna they're gonna do a good show. And so they contact Wayne Coker. They they get there's people telling on everybody, right? Everybody's telling on everybody. So. On November 21st of 97, I, get, I have a phone call interview with Marsha Bartell, who is the producer of Dateline out of Chicago Channel 5 NBC. Okay. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm going to talk to her, and we're all having this conversation, and she tells me that I lied about Jack's case. And I tell her, no, I didn't. You know, I'm just... I'm going to play along, you know. I said, no, I didn't. I didn't do it. I said, and then I said to her, oh, I'll tell you what. You prove it to me. And she went down the line about all the people that were telling about how this evidence got to me. Wow. And they, yeah, I mean, this is serious. This is, this is Oregon. I mean, everyone tells on everybody, it seems like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting there talking to the for Now, Marsha Bartell, uh, when I... So back in 1997, uh, NBC Channel 5 Chicago came to see me in May of 97 to talk about the Andrew Cunanan case. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Or he killed Versace? Yeah. So they were actually there to talk to me about animal abuse. They had the head of the uh, Humane Society from Washington, D.C. there here at OSB, and they're trying to... I, I told him I killed the one cat, right? Right. <laughs> and it's just like doing a human being. Oh, I mean, that's just what they wanted to hear. And the ba- then they went to the Andrew Cunan and they asked me, because he was still at large at the time, and they asked me what I thought was going to happen. And I said, well, I think, because he's gay. I said, well, you might, you might go to San Diego because that's a big gay, gay community down there. Or he'd go to New York. And if he went to New York, man, he's... And they know he's, they're after him. He knows they're after them. Oh, yeah. Because he wasn't, you know, they knew who he was, and they're, they're chasing him. So I said, he'll probably steal a vehicle. He'll head down to Miami. He'll probably uh, break into a houseboat down there that's not being occupied. And he'll hang out until one day when the cops show up, he'll probably shoot himself because he knows they're after him, right? Maybe he might even kill somebody be important to make, it, make his life you know, you'd be like one of the, the the killers they have nowadays, where they go in and shoot up the school and then they get shot, and then, and they're they go down in history. Right. Right. So what has happened now? Is, now, Marsha Bartell, I tell her that story, and they said, "Why don't you go back and interview?" I'm gonna go back to that interview, and because 
what happened in Andrew Kunanik's case was exactly pretty much what I said. Yeah, almost now, exactly. They, they, never, they never aired it. And the question, uh, I asked the question, why didn't they air it? And she said, it's because I was so close to having it right. They're so fearful that the public opinion would be mad that they didn't run with it before he killed Versace. Mm. So they're up. So this is Dateline. They're upset that uh, my my prediction came true, basically. Right. And so they never wanted to use that. But she said the hair on the back of her head stood up when she when she saw the whole interview and knowing how how the Andrew Kunani case actually went down. Yeah. Anyway, so. So I'm talking to I'm talking to her on November 21st, 1997, about this thing here, and she asked me about all this, you know, this little line and stuff like that. And she said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, why did you lie to me?" I said, "Well, they'll make. Are you going to use the information?" She said, "Yes." I said, "Well, we'll make a good story." And so she kept asking me about why I lied. I thought it'll just make a good story, and I hung up on her. Right. So that's okay. Now the prison. This is kind of stupid. Really is stupid. The prison is now going to punish me for lying to Dateline. Oh. They're going to give me a, a, dis, a discipline report. Okay. They're going to give me a DR. They're going to charge me as DR for lying to Dateline and lying to the prison staff. Wow. All right. I'm going to get. I'm going to get. A, a, I'm going to get thrown in the hole for lying. We're all supposed to be liars anyway, right? Exactly. When we come to prison, we're supposed to be liars. We're, we're not supposed to tell the cops the truth. But here I am, I'm going to get punished for lying to Dateline. For lying to them. Now, this guard, is, he's got me in handcuffs, he's taking me to the hole. And he says to me, he says, how does it feel to be known as a liar now? And I said, <clears throat> I said, well, it feels pretty good. <laughs> and he said, what? I said, what do you mean it feels pretty good? I said, well, it feels pretty good. So what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, yeah. I said, would you rather be a liar or a killer? And he looked at me with a stupid look on his face. I said, oh, I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, they don't have my best interest at heart. I mean, they really don't. I mean, no one does. So why would I tell them the truth anyway? Yeah. The same with 166. But what Dateline was, you know, they were going to prove that I didn't do it. Right. They're going to prove I didn't do this. So, you know, that's okay. Now, while I was in the hole in 1997, Detective Al Corson, he's the uh, state police detective that was in the Bennett case. He comes to see me, and he wants me to confess that I did kill Tanya Bennett. He wants to give me my 30 years back. He wants to give me my 30 years back. What, what, what's that going to do? I got 37 behind that. Another 34 behind that. 30 years ain't nothing. But he wants me to confess to say that I did not kill Bennett so that he can go to his superiors and tell them that I didn't do it so that he can go back and rearrest Laverne Pavnock and John Sosnowski and put them back in prison so that his career doesn't have any blemishes on it. Right. And so I play along, right? I just follow along with him. Yeah, you're right. I didn't do it. I tell him that. Yeah, I didn't do it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I got all the information from Phil Stanford. Yeah, this is all this all went down, right? So I laid down a story on him, and this guy is so—he is so excited. He's going to go and he tell him he's going to get his life, his whole career is going to be back to back to normal. And all I do, I end up fucking him because he's 
he literally, he literally tore up over this whole thing because that's what happened. He goes to authority, he goes to his superiors, and he says, hey, you know, Justin just confessed that he didn't do it. I, we need to go and, and put these people back, and, and of course they told him, leave it alone. And so he basically is a broken man right now because he hates my guts because I, I played along with him. What the hell? Right. And, and, and a week later, okay, a week or so later, I'm picked, they, they come to the hole and they get me and they pick me up. And they send me, they, they send me by Con Air to Wyoming. Now, before I get there, I send a letter to Karen Brubaker the, um, in Salem here. And I confess to her that I, that I never, that I didn't kill Bobby Crescenzi in Bath. It was all a setup. It was all a, a big push to try to get Jack out of prison. And I wanted to, I wanted to clear the air with her so she wasn't dragged down with the ship kind of thing. I wanted to make sure that she was aware so she didn't get blindsided along the way. So I kind of liked her. Now, one of the strange things with her, though, when she first came to visit me, she brought in a, a, a package of cigarettes and, and, and a book of matches. I don't know if I told you this, I probably did. Right. But she came in with this, this and she pulls out of her bra uh, this, this pack of smokes and uh, this book of matches. And I opened up the book of matches, half gone. <laughs> I told her, if you're gonna sm- if you're gonna smuggle in a book of matches that I'm gonna go the hole for, why don't you make it a full book instead of half a book? Right. And I said, why don't you put that back in your bra, take it out here because they're gonna strip search me when I get out of here. They're not gonna let me. I'm not gonna keister uh, a cigarette <laughs> that I don't smoke. You know, nobody uses like that term people. anymore, and I fucking love it. What, I'm keister? Keister. <laughs> we gonna... used to use it all the time in the joint. But I tell you what, I fucking love that term, and I miss it. Whatever. You like prison pocket better. Oh. <laughs> you, know, you want to talk about getting getting a ramrod up your ass? What the hell? I mean, I'm not going to do it. Right. You know, what, what are you, a turd burglar? <laughs> <laughs> no, Scott oh, likes yeah. the term prison pocket too, like because I use that all the time. <laughs> well, that's what yeah, that's what well, I asked my brother Phil. My brother Phil's been in prison three times. Problem, you know, I told her to get rid of it. I, I'm, I don't. I don't smoke anyway. Four days after I got to prison, someone wrote a kite on me saying that if you didn't bring back smoking, I was going to start killing all the guards or some stupid thing like that. They called me in the security office. And, they just asked me if I wrote this, had a little smiley face on the goddamn thing. I said, you know the funny part? He said, what's so funny about this? I said, I don't smoke. Right. I never have, right? I don't want, I, don't, I puffed a little bit when my dad smoked, but no, nothing like that, you know. I don't smoke. I, well, I don't give a shit if you bring back smoking or not. I don't care. I didn't write the damn kite. Anyway, moving forward. Anyway, so, uh, like I said, right before uh, uh, I sent the letter to Sharon, I wanted to clear her up so that she didn't have... She didn't get dragged in with a ship on this. Now, I go to I go to Wyoming and uh, I get there and they book me in. They they fly me by Con Air. I go to Oklahoma City and there for a couple of weeks. Put me on a Learjet and they had me over to China. Now this was funny too. We we're taxiing away on this on this Learjet as we were headed to Wyoming. And I said to him, I said, just just so I let you guys know that if the pilots get sick, I know how to fly this plane. So don't feel bad, right? I can, I can handle this, right? <laughs> so the pilot turns around and asks me a couple of questions, which I've flown a few times. I don't have a license, but I've flown a couple of planes and without a license, no big deal. It's just a session as I've flown. Anyway, 
uh, I answered the question correctly. So what do they do? They taxi back, they go back to the officer, and they put two more guards on the plane. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that, no, that, max, that actually makes make sense. Sure. It does make yeah, sense, but still funny. Two more guards on the plane just in case I need to fly the plane to help save their lives. Yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So in January 1998, when we get there, okay, so in January 1998, Dateline airs their show called True Lies. I think that came out on like uh, January 7th or 8th, somewhere right in there. And I tell them I didn't kill anyone. And then I told them I, you know, they told me I killed Bennett. And they told me that I, you know, how many people, they were really, they had everything down pat. They knew exactly what went on and, and everything. So it was no big secret. Dateline's pretty good. They got it all figured out. And so that's 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 what happened there, and so anyway, the I get there and the case that I have in Wyoming goes to shit real fast uh, because of the governor had gotten involved politically. The, the prosecutor now that said that he was going to kill me now says he's going to give me a life sentence. Just send me the back. Whip, uh, Send me back to Oregon. Right. So within six months, within six months, um, I go in and I, I, I walk into the court, and the court is empty. By the way, there's nobody in there except for my, my, uh, my people. One my remaining. And I'll call you right back. All okay. right. All right, boys and girls. Remember, you can send us an email at brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you happen to get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Start a chat with us and just interact. It's a good time. Good time. Party. This show is copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's podcast or show, they're lying, David bastards. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye bye.